Well, last night we attended Clark's violin recital. And normally we are inside a church in downtown Roanoke. But this year, due to COVID, the recital setting was, was different. We were outside at an old family farm in Daleville. And it was beautiful. The music played. The late afternoon sun faded into the blue of the evening. The backyard where we were seated met an old garden wall. We could look out and we could see the field beyond, which met the hillside, which in turn ascended to the top of a, of a looming ridge. Beautiful. At the base of that hillside in a gathering of trees, there was an old railroad track. Like you'd see in a picture. A beautiful, beautiful. And in the same way, King David, he, he knew what beauty was as well. The Psalms, which he wrote many, they capture some of the most beautiful, most compelling images found anywhere in Scripture. And today we're going to, to see this unique beauty in, in Psalm 19. David begins, The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. The heavens are relating the beautiful splendor of the Almighty. The skies are proclaiming His activity. And this points back to the Lord's handiwork in the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis. The beauty of creation. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their, their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their utterances to the end of the world. Almost as if you're quiet, they'll tell you some things. Even though they don't speak, you just have to pay attention. Did you know that all creation gives praise to God even as nothing is verbalized? We read in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, For since the creation of the world, that the Lord's invisible attributes, His character, that is, His eternal power, His divine nature, have been clearly perceived being understood by, by what has been made. You can see the character of the Lord in His creation. Two verses earlier, in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, Paul says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of people who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. Okay, what's that say? God has made himself known to man. If we go back to the book of Ecclesiastes, we see in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 that God has placed eternity in the heart of man. In, in you and in me, there is a God-shaped hole. And God put it there. And, and what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 1 is that mankind is without excuse when we come to the acknowledgement of God. We know something is there. And some argue this reality. And the Apostle Paul would say that the Lord has made His presence known through the creation of the heavens. Romans chapter 10 verse 18, Paul would go on to quote what David said here in verse 4 that their voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Here in verse 4, there, there at the end, in the heavens, in them, the Lord, He has placed a tent for the sun. 
Lots of pictures here. And he makes this comparison, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, it rejoices as a strong man to run his course. He points to the reality of, of the sun in the heavens. The Lord has placed the sun in the same way that he's placed the moon all for his glory. In Psalm 8, David wrote these words, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You who have displayed your splendor above the heavens from the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you've established strength. David would say, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you have set in place. David makes this comparison to the sun and its activity with this like and as. The sun is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. The morning of our wedding, I got up and I made coffee and I cleaned up. I had brunch with my groomsmen. I went back to my house and I got ready in my formal attire. It's going to be a a big day. We had an evening wedding. It's going to be a a big evening. Why? I am a bridegroom going to get my bride. It's a big evening. And it's a beautiful evening that we had. David makes that comparison with the bridegroom. And then he says here that the son rejoices as a strong man to run his course. A strong man running the course. This, This past school year... The, the schedules were, were offset because of pandemic, and so we had fall sports combined with spring sports in the spring, and so we went straight from cross-country to track and watching. There's running, and there's striving, and I see these, these teens, they have this rhythm down when they're, they're doing these relays and they're passing that baton, and they don't miss a beat. Uh, there's, there's all this working in tandem, working together. They're striving. We parents, we're cheering. And when you see these, these photo finishes, and we see these kids over the different meets we're kind of watching, and we, we know the ones who are going to break late, like clockwork, and fascinating. And it's, it's exciting. Victory is joyful. It's a beautiful thing. And then David says in verse 6 about the sun, he says, Its rising is from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the other end of them. And there's nothing hidden from its heat. David says that the rising of the sun is, is regular. It's, it's, it's complete, it's consistent, and, and there's nothing hidden from its heat. Even if the day is cloudy, often we can still feel the warmth of the sun, can't we? We can't ignore it. And in an infinitely exponential manner, greater than we can comprehend, the glory of God is even more intense. It's even more beautiful. Well, then we we go from the glory of God, as seen in, in the beauty of creation, and it's unfolding, to what seems to be a shifting of gears. There's, there's a gear change. Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. 
There, there are six items, six attributes of the Lord. And, and the word for Lord, he's got lots of names, and the word here is Yahweh. And that's the proper name of the God of Israel, a reverential name. When we first see words like law or precepts, this is a bit of a difference, a bit of a contrast from what we have just seen. We were talking about the beauty of this and the beauty of that, and now we're talking about laws and precepts. We, we get this image that's kind of intimidating. A, a, word which, a word came to mind, thinking about this language, a word came to mind that, that in our household we've been using this last year, and it's a word called judgy. You like that? Sometimes mom and dad can get judgy about things, right? It's not just moms and dads. We can all get judgy about some things. Judgy with things that perhaps we find initially abrasive. What could be beautiful about some of these things which sound judgy? Listen to these attributes of the Lord. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. His directions are complete. They have integrity. They, they're true. The testimony of of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The testimony of the Lord, it's confirmed, it's supported, like you'd see on a legal TV show. There's a witness there, and it's credible. It's supported, and it it brings wisdom to the simple-minded, the naive, the foolish. Verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. These mandates, they're straight. And one doesn't usually think that mandates would make one's heart glad. Again, we're we're trying to work our way through this seemingly judgy language. But David says that they bring joy to the heart. The heart, and and that can also mean the, the mind, the will, the inner man. Why would the laws of the Lord cause one's heart to rejoice? Well, as much as we think we don't need them, we need margins. We need boundaries in our lives, don't we? We need boundaries. As a kid, I hated going to bed. I wanted to stay up all night. I, I wanted to eat junk food all the time. Now, what if I had done what I thought was right in my own eyes? I needed the parents that I had. They gave me boundaries. They knew what was needed for my own good. And later on, when, when I started driving and when I started dating... My parents were were still my parents. And when I left home for good, there was never any question of what boundaries were. The commandment, David says, of the Lord. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The code of wisdom given by the Lord is pure and clean, and, and the word is choice. The wisdom of the Lord is radiant. Wow. And the wisdom of the Lord brings light to the eyes. There's a famous verse a hundred verses from now. We're in Psalm 19 and in Psalm 119, there's a famous verse that's well known. Thy word is a thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The beautiful, glorious, pure light of God's word. And in verse 9, we see that the, that the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Reverence of the Lord of Yahweh is pure. The teaching of the reverence and the fear of the Lord stands steadfast. We're talking about recognition of the Lord and acknowledgement of the things of Him. And there, there's a, a Bible teacher named Ellicott who, who said this, the fear of the Lord will endure 
while the false systems of idolatrous nations perish. Based on the eternal principle of right, the judgments of God are eternal as they are. The judgments of the Lord are true. They're righteous altogether. The decisions of the Lord show His faithfulness. They they show His righteousness. The Lord and His Word are faithful and true. Six items we've seen, six attributes of the Lord with six benefits to man. The Lord and His Word, they are perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, true. And you know what else? Look at verse 10. They are more desirable than gold. Yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. The value of these six, these aforementioned six, are compared to gold and and to honeycomb. These things of the Lord, His Word, the things of His Word. His his Word is more valuable than gold. And and not just ordinary gold, mind you, but, but fine gold. Beautiful gold. And, and much of it. And then we see that word honeycomb. Mm. <laughs> my first experience with honey. My first experience with honey was in a restaurant back home. A, a restaurant which is no longer there. It was at the very end of Main Street. And it was an early restaurant franchise named Kenny's Chicken. Fantastic chicken, signature burgers, but the best part, the deep-fried biscuits and honey. The deep-fried biscuits with honey. Oh, my. And, and what we read in this psalm is that directions given by the Lord are better than honey. Pure, uncut honey, straight from the honeycomb. Verse 11, David says, Moreover, by them... These laws, these precepts, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. There's there's benefits. There's rewards. There are benefits. There are rewards. We are warned. It's good to know the margins. It's good to know the boundaries. If we pay attention, if we pay mind, if we respect the Lord and His Word, if we pay heed, there is great reward. There is great compensation, a beautiful thing, a beautiful thing. And and then David says something curious. In verse 12, he asks a question. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of of hidden faults. Who is able to call out his own error? It's God's Word, our beautiful standard, our beautiful standard, which allows us to know the margin, the rule of how far is too far. And maybe, just maybe, there are things in our lives which we're not yet ready to call out. Or in popular vernacular, maybe there's things which we're just not ready to own. There's hidden things. David says, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. This picture of presumptuous sins and hidden sins, this could be described in, a, in another way. There's an old phrase that says, sins of commission, 
not commission, but sins of commission and sins of omission. And, and many of us have, have heard that, that phraseology. There's a writer named Joel Ryan from Christianity.com, and he gives a good summation of that. He, he says a sin of commission involves the willful act of doing something that violates God's commands in Scripture, such as lying or stealing. A sin of omission involves not doing what is right or failing to do as instructed. And later on in the New Testament, we, we will read in James chapter 4, verse 17, that so for one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, for him it is sin. Paul in his missionary journeys in Acts 17, Acts 17 verse 30, Paul is speaking to a group of, of persons in Athens at Mars Hill, and he, and he says, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent, to turn from sin. David's request to the Lord to restrain David from willful, intentional sin is to not allow those things which have had dominion over him to continue to have dominion over him. And, and maybe that might be a prayer to which you can relate. I, I, I know I can relate to that. I, there's things which are struggles for you which are not for me and vice versa. Things which, with which I struggle are things which you would not. But things want to have dominion over our lives. And like David, we can pray, Lord, keep me from those things. David wants to be acquitted. He wants to be blameless. He wants to be completely guilt-free. And, and he wants to be complete and clean and forgiven of his sin. And then David says the following, the last verse, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let, let our words, which we say, and let our meditations, those things which dwell in our minds and our, in our hearts constantly, those things which are in our rearview mirror, in our brains, always there. Let our meditations be acceptable in the sight of the Lord. As we've seen previously in these psalms, there's nothing hidden from the Lord. But this morning in verse 6, just as the sun, <laughs> there's nothing hidden from its heat. That comparison, the Lord and His Word, it's the same. Nothing is hidden. And we know what is acceptable and what is not, don't we? We do. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, the Lord, steadfast and unmovable as a rock, the Lord, the one who redeems us, purchases us. That's a beautiful thing. We finished the letter of 1 Peter several weeks ago. And we've been looking, uh, before we start 2 Peter this, this next week, we've taken a few weeks to look at some of these Old Testament Psalms. And there's a great question. It's a legitimate, fair question. Why does this Old Testament matter now? Why does it matter? That's a fair question. I mean, this old stuff shouldn't apply anymore, right? Well, this Old Testament shows us our need for salvation. Jesus is, is the fulfillment of all of this. 
In our kingdom encounters, back when, when we started these in 2019, the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 4, we, we read that Jesus taught in the synagogues of all of Galilee. A question, what did Jesus teach? He taught the law and the prophets. He taught, Jesus taught the Old Testament. Jesus didn't have the book of Acts or the book of Romans or the letter of Jude. Jesus had the Old Testament. And actually, a few verses earlier in in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus began to preach, the first thing he said was, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. How would those folks know they needed to repent? Because of what the law and the prophets had revealed to them about God's law. Among among everything else, the Old Testament points to the reality of the broken relationship which we have with the Holy God. The Old Testament points to the promised Messiah who would mend that relationship. The reality of our sin, the reality of the need for atonement, the forgiveness of our sins, and the reality of salvation found only in a promised Messiah, Yeshua, salvation, Yeshua, or we say Jesus. The Old Testament shows the need for atonement for our sins if we still believe that we sin. And and the New Testament tells us that we sin, doesn't it? For all have sinned, Romans chapter 3. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus, the living Word of God, in whom we find all the fulfillment of all that was written in the law and the prophets. So why does this matter? Well, you know, the same question, in essence, was going to be asked of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says to all who were listening then and now, Jesus says some famous verses, ones we've all heard. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by people. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Your light must shine before people in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Well-known statements. And then Jesus follows these powerful statements with this. Do not presume that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke of a letter shall pass from the law until all is accomplished, until heaven and earth pass away. Jesus goes on to say, Therefore, whoever nullifies one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, the beautiful Savior, establishes the essential link between the Old Testament and eternity. That essential link is himself. Is himself. And you know what else? 
the reality that these beautiful words of the Lord, which we've seen in Psalm 19, the reality is these beautiful words can give us hope. If the word of the Lord is perfect, if it's sure, if his word is right, if, if his word is pure, if his word is clean, if his word is true, then it says to me that I can trust the one who wrote them. What the Lord says about forgiveness for my sin, what he says about forgiveness for your sin, salvation for your soul, salvation for my soul, what he says about those things, we can trust. Beautiful words of life which are faithful and true.